Good morning. Uh, it's very good to see you here this morning, and if you'll take the time and make the effort to get out your Bible or uh, take one of those Bibles provided for you there in the pew and turn to the book of Acts, the book of Acts will begin in the second chapter, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Uh, so in the New Testament, uh, this is uh, the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. If you'll turn there, almost the entire lesson will be from the book of Acts this morning. I ran across this picture the other day. Um, what is your reaction uh, to this picture? How does, how does that picture make you feel? Um, I, I don't know about you, but for me, it's uh, a little bit sad, maybe a little bit melancholy. You know, I, I see this, this picture of this abandoned building, and, and clearly by the cross on the other end, it was a church building, and there were once worshipers here, uh, and... Apparently, there were enough worshipers there that it uh, ended up with the need to build a building for those worshipers to come together. And at some point, this, this building represented the growth of people, the growth of believers. And that church grew, and then over the course of time, apparently that church stopped growing and started shrinking until eventually this building was abandoned for whatever reason. And now nobody is there to worship. I don't know the story behind this picture. I ran across it and I looked it up and I tried to, to find out where it came from, what the story was. I couldn't find that. But, but I know that there are buildings like this uh, across the country and around the world that, that represent a similar, similar story. It grew. At some point it stopped growing. And then it wasted away to nothing. And so this morning, I want us to consider the question, what does church growth look like? One of our sweet sisters after Bible class this morning told me I needed to smile a little more. Well, after a story like that, it's maybe tough to smile, but all is not lost. There is still hope because growth is possible. But I want us to think about what that growth looks like. What does growth look like in the church, in a local church and in Christ's church? Well, we know the most obvious physical indication of growth is numerical growth. And we see incredible numerical growth in the early church in the book of Acts. The 120 disciples who were there after Jesus rose from the dead grew to over 3,000 people in just one day. 3,000 souls were added to their number there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now that 3,000, just a few short months later, soon grew to over 5,000 men. And if we extrapolate that out, 5,000 men was probably like 20,000 people in attendance in the temple, if we're thinking men, women, and children. That's a lot of growth over a short period of time. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 14, it tells us that believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. So beyond that 3,000, 5,000, 20,000, multitudes more were added to the Lord, both men and women. And as the book continues, what's interesting is Luke, who writes this book, he quits using that word added, that people were added to the church, and he starts using a different word. He says that they were multiplied. Now, I know I'm just a preacher, but I know that 
things multiply faster than they add, right? And so we see that they were multiplied in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. They were multiplied in Jerusalem. And they were multiplied throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. And eventually this, this church grew throughout the known Roman world and then throughout the entire world to where we are today. But is that the only kind of growth that there is? Is that what church growth really looks like? Preparing for this lesson this morning, I I knew I was going to preach on this for several weeks, um, and it's been surprisingly emotional for me because I've thought back at all of the different places where I've worshipped in my life, the different churches um, that I've been a part of. I've worshipped with many churches in many different places of many different sizes. I've had that opportunity, that blessing in the course of my life. But I've regularly worshipped with, in my lifetime, churches of about 50 people, 150, 250, and about 350 over the course of my life. But the church that I worshipped with the longest, which it's kind of a milestone because Timberland now is tied with this church for 12 years. For 12 years, I worshipped with this church and these brethren. Uh, In this picture, there are 24 people out in West Texas uh, in the town of Spur, Texas. 24 people in this congregation, 24 people in this picture, including six-year-old me. Right after I graduated high school, this this church moved. Uh, Moved locations because out in West Texas, everybody drives a long way, right? And they realized 90% of the congregation was driving through this same town that was closer for everybody. And so it moved into this building in Dickens, Texas. Um, All of my growing up life, 24 people, the average attendance on a Sunday morning never got above 24 people the whole time I was growing up. And then this building, they moved there and worshipped there for a number of years. But this building is now abandoned. And there's no church that worships there. And people have died. People have moved on to other places. The building now sits empty and the local church that met there disbanded. Did that church grow? And how do we apply the biblical indicators of church growth to this congregation, to our congregation, to these people? The question I want us to answer this morning and walk away with is this. What does church growth really look like? That's what I want us to answer this morning. And to do so, we're going to look at the growth of the church, the early church, the first century church in the book of Acts. That's the church that we're trying to be, the the church that we are. And this is not intended to cover every form of church growth, every metric that indicates a church is growing this morning, but hopefully it gives us a good starting point for examining ourselves as a local congregation here at Timberland Drive to see if we're growing, and then also giving us some ideas where we can emphasize the need for growth in the future. And so Think about 10 signs of church growth beyond the numbers. We looked at these verses in Acts that talk about the numbers, numerical growth. Well, the church is growing when we're doing some other things besides just adding to our numbers. The church is growing when we're desiring frequent 
teaching and frequent worship. We read verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. 3,000 souls were added to them. What did they do? Well, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, in, in uh, maybe yours says fe- doctrine, that's the idea of teaching, the apostles' teaching, and fellowship in the breaking of bread, that's worship, and in prayers. Those were the things that they did. And we see that this teaching from the apostles was something that was taking place on a daily basis. They wanted more spiritual food. They wanted more spiritual drink. And churches grow when they are filled with people like that. People who desire to worship. People who desire to learn. They want to be taught. They want to read and study. Uh, We talked about it in the Bible class this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes, the need for daily Bible reading to just get into the Word of God. That's how we're going to grow as individuals. And if we're doing that, we're going to grow as a church as well. Again, I've I've had the opportunity, a wonderful opportunity, to, to visit churches all around the country to preach the gospel in many of those churches. And I've been to little bitty groups where, you know, the building holds 50 people and there's 65 people there every night. And people are excited about being there, excited about worshiping God. They're, uh, they're eating up the lessons from God's Word and they're inviting other people to come. And then I've preached at much, much, much larger congregations where it just seemed like nobody wanted to be there, where everybody was just going through the motions and uh, a preacher's here, so we're going to show up and listen to some preaching. Which one do you think was more encouraging? And whatever the numbers say, which one is more likely growing? It is in those that are desiring this teaching and worship from God's Word. Secondly, we see in Acts chapter 2 that there is... Opening ourselves to intimacy and unity and generosity with one another. That's an indication of a church that is growing. So look there in verse 2 and let's keep reading in verse 43. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, so that's when the whole church can come together, and breaking bread from house to house, going to different places to eat meals together, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, added to their number daily, those who were being saved. Perhaps growth looks like fellowship it looks like openness and hospitality and and camaraderie it looks like people who enjoy being around one another it looks like liking one another being aware of one another's burdens and seeking to bear them it looks like brotherly love a church that is growing is a church that looks like a family now we just talked about that we're part of the family of god and And we have our family here. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we are close and unified and generous with one another, that shows that we're growing. How great was their generosity to one another? We'll look in chapter 4 and verse 32 beginning. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. 
Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Does that that sound good? Nor was there anyone among them who lacked... For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. Do you think they were committed to this experiment? Do you think that they were all in for their brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, think about that. I've got land somewhere else. I sell it. I've got homes. I sell it. Just so that we can be together a little longer. Um, That's what we see here in this passage. And if we keep reading, they laid it at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one as they had need. There were needs among the brethren. And they met those needs by the brethren. Um, I love I love the way we circle the wagons here whenever anyone is in need. I've seen that myself. Providing for those needs in whatever way that we can Well, that's a way that the church grows, when we grow closer to one another. But that's not all that we see in the book of Acts. We also see that a church is growing when we're improving our reputation with the people. That means the people of the world, those who are not a part of the church. In chapter 2 and verse 47, it says they had favor with all the people. And that's not literally so. We know the scribes and the Pharisees and the high priests, many of them were against the church. But the common people, the day-to-day people they came in contact with, they had favor with them. If we drop down to chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, The people esteemed them highly. Whatever else they thought about these people, they were good people. Something good was happening there. And the church doesn't always have a good reputation, and sometimes it's earned and sometimes it isn't. But why would we want one? We want a good reputation among the people of our community because it allows us to have influence. Not to wield worldly power, you know, we've got influence in the community, but to influence people toward Christ and toward His kingdom. To be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That reputation is dependent on every member who is associated with our group trying to act like Christ. Um, One of the favorite things that I share when I go other places about what evangelism looks like. You know, sometimes evangelism just looks like living your life as a Christian in the community where you are. There's a a family here who who was looking to to get back into church and, and they asked themselves, who do we know that really acts like Christians? And several of the people that they thought of to themselves were from our group here at Timberland. So they came here to visit. That's church growth, isn't it? Because people are acting like Christians. And that's going to lead to other growth as well. Uh, A church is growing when we're all, number four, overcoming conflict without dividing. We read earlier how awesome it sounded in chapter four. And in chapter five, there's a, a little speed bump along the way with some money and lying to the Holy Spirit. But the church continues to grow. And even though the apostles are put into prison, they're still growing. But then something happens in chapter 6 and verse 1, if you read with me. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. 
So we know there's people from all over the Roman world, Jews and proselytes who have come to Jerusalem. And so you've got the native Jews who were there in Israel, in Jerusalem. And then you've got these Jews from all these different places. And, and apparently there's some conflict there from these different groups. Why? Because their widows, the Hellenistic widows, the widows from other places, were neglected in the daily distribution. Well, everybody is getting their needs, these widows who, who need their needs provided for, and they are being provided for by the church. Some of them are being neglected. Well, that's a source of conflict, isn't it? Verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they choose these seven men. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God, what? Spread. And the number of the disciples, what? Multitude great, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many, even of the priests, were obedient to the faith. This early conflict could have derailed the whole thing, couldn't it? Um, we're not told from the text whether this was something intentional or it was just an, an oversight because, you know, we're used to the people that we're around and these other people were from out of town. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. Maybe it was sinful. Maybe it was malicious on the part of some. But instead of saying, well, we're going to leave, you know, I, I can't be around these Hebrew Jews because, you know, they're not treating us right and that sort of thing. What they did is they came together and worked it out with one another. It is... It's easy to grow. It's easy to grow when everything's positive, when everybody's on the same page. But we often shrink when there is conflict because we literally, instead of multiply, we divide our number. And the casualties usually aren't just in the local church, but some even fall away from the kingdom of God. The church in Jerusalem continued to grow because they dealt with the issue instead of ignoring it. Um, if uh, you're visiting with us, or maybe you've not been around here very long, do you know how this local congregation started? This local congregation came out of a sinful split with another congregation. It was a split that was made right, and the two congregations decided, hey, we're both growing, we're going to continue in that. But that is not what this congregation chose to remain as. And though we've experienced conflict since then, that is not what defines us. We have not divided in those times. And our elders deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, Harold and Bev deserve a lot of credit for that. And you as members deserve a lot of credit for that. But ultimately, the credit is not ours, is it? It's God's. Thank God that he has led us to this point. Thank God that he has equipped us to overcome conflict without dividing with one another. And if we can maintain that most important thing in common, that we love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are willing to return to His Word in order to work out our conflicts, then the church can and will grow. Church growth looks like um, 
from this same passage when we are appointing men to lead and serve. And, and I would add, especially when those men are from among ourselves. Uh, we read that in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Later on, chapter 14 and verse 23 of the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas went back to churches that, that they had started, local congregations, and they appointed elders in every church to serve in those churches. And I look at us and I, I look at the men who serve in this capacity as elders and deacons, and I was noticing something about our elders, something, something really cool. How many of our newly-ish appointed elders are homegrown, as it were? You thought about that? If you grew up here, or if you've been here for years and years, everybody knows you, right? They know you for good or for bad. They know all the skeletons in the closet. And what kind of growth does it show for men who are known by the congregation in that sort of intimate and personal way, and yet they have still grown into these leadership roles where the congregation has confidence in them to lead us in the future? That's seeing growth, seeing growth in them as people. It is seeing growth in their wives as well, but it also shows growth in the local church that we have people who can lead and serve in these ways. Number six, it shows growth when we are developing more who are willing and able to teach. You know, there's a long list on the screen behind me in the book of Acts uh, in chapter in chapter 6, we see the first example of somebody else teaching and preaching besides the apostles. So for the first five chapters, we see uh, the apostles are preaching and teaching, Peter especially, John especially, but the others of the eleven, they're teaching and they're preaching. And, and others are coming to them for the apostles' teaching or doctrine. But then in chapter 6, we see that Stephen now is teaching. And he gives a great sermon in chapter 7. And then Barnabas in, in chapter 8. And Paul in, in chapter 9. And a whole group of people who are preaching and teaching in chapter 13. And it's not just public teaching, but there are men and women who are equipped to teach in private as well. Like chapter 18 and verse 26 with Aquila and Priscilla. We see the church is growing because there are others who are internalizing the word of God where they can teach others as well. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, he says to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Right? So we've got the Holy Spirit over here, and the Holy Spirit reveals this to Paul. And Paul says, Timothy, you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses what I want you to do. Entrust that to faithful men. You teach others for what purpose? that they may be able to teach others also. It all comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And the apostles revealed those things and wrote those things down. And from there it goes to Timothy and it goes to other men. And those other men teach others also. And down the line we can go to this very time. You know what a growing church is? It is a church that has more who are willing and able to teach. Because they have grown in their knowledge and understanding and love and appreciation of the Word of God and others who need to hear that message. Teaching. Teaching is something that we should all aspire to in one way or another. And as we do, as we do, the church grows. 
Even more, what we see in the early church is we're growing when we're becoming a reflection of the people of our world. What was uh, the original group that came there in Jerusalem? Well, if we go back to chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. Jews would come from all over the world. They would come to Jerusalem for Passover. And they would often stay for a little over a month, 50 days or so, to the day of Pentecost. And so in verse 5, we see that was the case. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews... Devout men from every nation under heaven. And it goes on to describe these people, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and so on and so on and so on. There were were Jews from all over who had come to make up this church in Jerusalem. And so they reflected what the world looked like, right? But it didn't stop there If if we go over to Acts chapter 11 we see that Christ's plan, God's plan, all along was not just for Jews to be a part of the church, but for Gentiles as well. And so in chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' household, and he's the first Gentile who becomes a Christian. And he goes back to Jerusalem, and he testifies to these things. And what's the conclusion that's drawn in verse 18? Acts 11:18. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews also, only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. We talk about Paul's missionary journeys that he's going preaching the gospel. To whom was he preaching? Well, Jews, but primarily he was going to Gentile cities preaching the word of God there. Now, let me be clear with this one. Uh, Diversity is one of those hot-button words in, in our society. Diversity is not a goal in and of itself. But if we have hearts that view all people from all backgrounds, from all races, all ages, if we view all people as candidates for the gospel and we are willing to to share that gospel and spread the seed of God's word abundantly, then that's just a natural thing that happens, that our church reflects the community, the world that we're in. And as that happens, that's an indication of growth. Now, all of those seven are pretty inwardly focused, right? But, but the last three look more outward. What we see is a church is growing when it, when it has the, bil- the ability to send out and support the preaching of the gospel elsewhere. In Acts chapter 11, that's what we see with the, the church in Antioch, right? They sent out Paul, they sent out Barnabas to preach the gospel in other places. And that's something that we've done all, all around the world. And not just that. A church is growing when we send out and support the brethren who are in need elsewhere. And it's this beautiful thing that the church begins in Jerusalem and then Gentiles are converted in other places and those Gentiles send back money during a famine to needy saints in Jerusalem. And the church here, we have 
done and do both of those things. Praise God that we have grown to be able to do that. Um, I'm almost out of screen, aren't I? Uh, there's one more. And maybe this is the biggest one. I think certainly maybe this is the, the hardest one to swallow. But if we're going to see church growth from a spiritual biblical perspective, we've got to see this one too. The church grows when we are preparing the faithful to serve faithfully elsewhere. How exciting must it have been to be part of those early disciples in Jerusalem, to see the church growing? Man, let me just sell my land back home. I want to just stay here forever. But that was never God's intention. It was never God's plan. Back there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, what do we see? Jesus, before he ascends, speaks to the apostles and he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Oh, and in all Judea and Samaria. Oh, and to the ends of the earth. It is never intended by God it is never intended that church growth should just be about our group. It's about the church, Christ's church, and growth of that church. And so what we see in chapter 8, as great as things were, persecution is used. I would suggest used by God in some ways to send people out, to, to grow in other places. In chapter 8 and verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. In chapter 11 and verse 19, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word. The church began there in Jerusalem, but it was never supposed to stay just there in Jerusalem. Which brings me back to this group of people. Has this church grown? Has this church, with the doors shuttered, nobody worshiping there anymore, has that church grown? Growth and how we view something as growing or not depends on our mentality. And if we're focused on that one group of people, that one group of Christians in that one little place, then no, the church didn't grow. But if we're focused on the body of Christ, His church, His kingdom, then praise God, absolutely that church has grown. I think about this group of people. Um, a lot of those passed before I left. But when I left this group, and I became a Christian while I was there, and I go off to college, and I never came back. Um, I think about that group. It was about 20 I can go through the names probably if I sat here long enough. That would be riveting stuff for a sermon. I think about that group of 20. I think about those men and women of faith. From that group, there have been multiple elders in other congregations of the Lord's Church. From that group of 20, there have been multiple preachers, including this one, right, wrong, or indifferent, in other congregations of the Lord's Church. I look back at that group of 20 
every single person of that group, of that church at that time, 19 years ago now, every single person of that group has either gone on to their reward or they are still faithful to this day. And of that, one of my big struggles growing up is there's nobody else my age. There's nobody else my age in this little bitty country church. And of that group of young people, just a handful of young people, every single one of those young people have become Christians, are still faithful Christians, and every single one of them has been instrumental in the conversion of multiple people to the faith. And it would be so easy to look at this building and say, what a failure, a church that didn't grow, a church that died. But that's not what I see. And may this congregation, as long as it remains in existence, may we prepare our faithful, including our children that we are striving to raise in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Think about the dozens that we've sent out. May we be preparing them to serve and teach and influence and convert others and work with fervency and become elders and deacons and salt and light wherever they go, even if, even if it is somewhere other than here. Because we want the church to, go, to grow. A universal church, Christ church mentality, allows us to see other forms of growth. And it eliminates, it eliminates any sense of rivalry within the church between congregations. It's not our congregation versus other congregations. It is those who are Christ's, who are in Christ, versus those who are outside of Christ, who need to come to Him. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19 says, The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Everyone who names the name of Christ. Does God rule in their heart or not? That's the question. And our goals in numerical growth, our goals in evangelism, should never be about getting them to come to our church. It's about making sure that they are a part of Christ's church, citizens of the kingdom of God, that God is ruling in their heart. And they have obligations to a local congregation if they come to Christ and put Christ on in baptism. And if they can serve and fulfill those obligations here and go to heaven well and good, but if they serve and fulfill them somewhere else, that's okay too. I want people to go to heaven. Amen? Whether they come to our church here or not, I want them to be added to Christ's church. And may we celebrate every true conversion. Every time someone is baptized into Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice, we are told. And so do we. Anywhere in Lufkin, but also when we hear about it in, in Prague, when we hear about it in Chile, when we hear about it in Gladewater, in the Philippines, in Italy, or wherever we're supporting men to preach the gospel from this congregation. We have fellowship in that growth. That's our growth. Or wherever we hear of conversions beyond the, the men that we support, that means that the church is growing. And we aren't looking to steal members from anybody else. If where they're attending is where they're going to go to heaven, then God be with them. Go with God.
Christ's church, well, it's found all around the world. It goes backwards and forwards in time from the day of Pentecost when it began to the day when the Lord comes again and we can go and be with Him and one another forever. It includes Paul and John and Peter and Dorcas and Mary and Martha and Barnabas and Stephen and Aquila and Priscilla. And it includes the faithful who have passed on, even among that 24 that I put on the board earlier. And it includes the faithful today, and it is here now in Lufkin, in the hearts of all those who submit to Christ, submit to His rule or reign, who have been saved by grace through faith and obedience to the gospel. Whether we know them personally or not, that's when the church grows. Well, what about numerical growth? Am I saying it's not important? Do you want this church to grow numerically? I ask a question nobody answered. Like, oh, you don't have to say it out loud. Do you want this church to grow? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I'd love that. But if we grow in these ten ways, if we grow in every one of those ways, numbers will just be a byproduct representative of souls. A group of people that is engaged in service to God and service to others will want to spread the gospel and God will give the increase. Brethren, may we grow. May we grow as a church. May God bless us in our efforts. And may we see that growth both in numbers and in other ways as well. And if you're not yet a Christian, you know, the lesson this morning was not intended to bring you to Christ, but I, I hope you see or get a glimpse of who we are and what we're trying to be about. We're trying to be about Christ. We're trying to be about His kingdom. We're trying to be about His church. And if we can help anyone to grow closer to Christ, to come to Christ, or to become a part of the family of God, there is nothing that would make us happier. And if you're here this morning and you realize you're not growing personally, and you need your brothers and sisters to help you with that growth, won't you come now while together we stand and while we sing? Jesus is tenderly calling.